Hey there, everyone. This is Pastor Ryan from Mountain View. I just wanted to take a quick second and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We we hope that this message just fills your soul. It fills your heart. Uh, we pray that this message impacts your life in some way, shape, or form, and the gospel just changes you. So thank you so much for tuning in for the Mountain View podcast. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Y'all are looking good today. You all get a gold star. You all get a gold star. Perfect attendance for 2020 so far. Perfect annual attendance. Good job, good job, good job. Well, hey, so we, uh, and by we, I mean by Pastor Sean and I, we had this brilliant idea of sermon prepping for the next several weeks. Um, And then we realized that me talking about vision uh, the week after he announces he's going to be moving to Colville might not be that great of an idea. Uh, And so I took it upon myself to maybe take it in a different direction. So we're going to do that today, if you guys don't mind. It might get a little loosey-goosey. And so I thought in that spirit, I'm going to share with you guys what's in this picture frame on stage that you can't see. It's pretty neat. You guys ready? Any guesses what it could be? Baby Baby Yoda is a really good guess. All right, ready, 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 ready? It's a puzzle. It's a puzzle that I framed. Yeah, check it out. Check this bad boy out, yeah. It's, uh, I don't remember how many pieces it is. I think it's either 1,500 or 2,000. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I don't get to brag on this thing that often. It's, uh, it's the Cinque Terra in Italy. My mother-in-law's here. I don't know where my father-in-law is. He's here somewhere. I just know where he is. But they've actually been there. My wife has actually been to this town, like where this picture was taken. They've looked at it. Cinque Terra is Italian. Uh, I know the word five is in there, and I think city is in there. And what's really interesting geographically about this place is it's on the Italian coastline, and it actually, you can only get to cities one and five by car. And the three in the middle, send five, get it, sink, uh, are, you have to get to by boat. Or you have to walk, you have to take these really long, I can't, I'm upside down so I can't see where they are. These really long staircases to get down to the coast, and then you walk over here, and you walk back up to all these different coffee shops. And it was Jess's birthday, it was September, the year was 2016, and I got her this massive puzzle because we had kind of slumped from any New Year's resolution whatsoever. It was September, people, okay? New Year's resolutions were long gone, all right? They, were, they weren't even in the rearview mirror anymore. And so basically at that point, we were sitting on the couch watching TV every night, And so for her birthday, I thought I would get her a puzzle, get us up out of the couch, get us to do something. And so we we started eating away at this puzzle. And when Jess opened it, I said, hey, you know, we make pretty good money here in California. We we, we don't have any kids. We got the dog and, and that's it. What if we, what if, you know, after we put the last puzzle piece in this puzzle, we actually book tickets to Italy and we go to the Cinque Terre. And so, and Jess was like, that's a brilliant idea, right? And because uh, she loves to go on vacation. And uh, so we did the outline 
and we started talking about different places in Italy that we wanted to go and that she's been to and, and how I would like to have a layover in London and go to a soccer game and eat, you know, fish and chips out of, you know, greasy fish and chips out of some newspaper. And, and, uh, and then we, we started filling in the, in the interior part. We started talking about, well, maybe this is a hostel that we could stay at. And what the view would be like. And Jess was telling me about her favorite. I can actually find it still to this day. It's right, maybe not upside down. Uh, it's right there. Uh, I don't know if you can see it in the puzzle, but right there. There's actually a little gelato place. And it's Italian gelato, so you know it's good. And how she got like lemon, lemon gelato or lemon sorbet. And, and how she loved it there. And so we were going to go here. And 1,500 pieces later... We put the last piece in. It was, I think it was one of these mountain pieces because if you can imagine, it's just texture. There's nothing interesting about it. You can't tell. There's not like a line. It's just blue. Uh, and we put the last piece in and no tickets were bought to Italy. No hotel plans were made. No rental car was reserved. No passports were ordered. Nothing. 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 It was all talk. We still haven't gone on the trip. This hangs in our guest bedroom upstairs, and we call that guest room puzzles because every time we complete a puzzle, we glue it together and put it in that room. And that's about as far as this journey has gone. And today I want to talk a little bit about how oftentimes uh, we have faith, but we don't have action. We have talk, we have plans. But we have no moving forward. Today we're going to be reading out of James chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14. Uh, If you were in the adult class, then you know all about James. You guys spent all the fall going through James. And while you're flipping there in your Bible in James chapter 2, I just want to remind you guys, it was announced, Christine did a wonderful job. Uh, But we do have a ministry partner class this Wednesday. I'd love for you guys to be there. If you're not a partner, please join. Uh, If you call this place home, if you call us family, uh, we would love to properly, officially graft you into that family. Um, and, And we would love for you to be there. Also on January 19th is Pastor Sean's last Sunday. Uh, So please bring a card, bring flowers, bring, you know, $100 bills and duffel bags, whatever you want to bless him with would be nice. And let's, um, let's, let's send them off properly. They've done a lot for this valley in the last 12 years. They deserve to be honored. That's right. Are you there yet? Are you at chapter, four, or chapter 2, verse 14 in James? All right, if you're not, it should be on the screen. I think Kenneth is back there. He's pretty good at that stuff. So we're just going to get on. And if it's not up there, good thing we got ears. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. But someone will say to you, have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. 
Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without, de- de- faith without deeds is dead. Now, let me give you some background. Being the youth pastor, I like to provide some background for my students because they don't always read their Bible. And so, it's funny because it's true. So let's talk a little bit about James. James, this, uh, this epistle of James is actually not written by the disciple James. There was a disciple. It's actually written by Jesus' half-brother James, which would have been difficult to have been Jesus' half-brother. And I'm going to tell a, a pretty cliche joke. Could you imagine being James at all ever in your life? Mary goes to the market. Mary comes home. There's a clay jar broken. And she just starts yelling your name instantly, Mom. Yeah, you know it's James because Jesus is the perfect one. And, of course, the one time he did break a vase, he healed it before you got home. I just, ugh, I would hate being James. To have your brother be the perfect one, oh, it would be frustrating. But... In this particular passage, James is actually, even though he's of Jewish descent, is actually using a very Greek uh, logical and philosophical analogy and tool. It's called the straw man technique. Has anyone ever heard of that? Anyone ever taken debate class or anything? Yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. So the straw man technique does two things. One, it creates an enemy without actually using one particular person. Right, a straw man like a scarecrow. You can now argue against someone that one, they can't argue back, and two, you're not technically offending anyone. And also, you are it's very easy to get the rest of your audience, whether you're preaching, whether you're debating, whether you're writing a blog, or in this case, an epistle, uh, it's very easy to get your audience on your side because you 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 display the other side's argument, in this case the straw man's argument of will I have faith and that's enough. He's able to display it in a very simple way that we all agree with James, uh, which is really good for us because he was writing to the early church where this was actually a really big problem. Uh, we see it oftentimes in the, the letter of 1 John where he writes to about Gnostics all the time and Gnosticism and how they thought their spirit was holy but their body was dirty and there was nothing they could do so they thought they could do anything they wanted with their body because their soul went to heaven and it didn't matter. And James is kind of addressing the same problem, where the early church is saying, well, I have my faith, and that's all I need. I don't need to do any good works because I have faith. But let's put it in a more modern version. Faith without works is like vision without action. Vision without action is nothing more than a daydream. It's nothing more than putting a puzzle together, saying you're going to go there when you're done, and not booking flights. It's the same 
thing. It's the same thing as doing a New Year's resolution and saying you're going to lose weight and then never going to the gym or never eating salad. All right, uh, you can actually go to the grocery store, and I'm willing to bet that the, like the manager, maybe not every clerk, but the manager of every grocery store in this country can tell you when people stop their New Year's resolution diets. Roughly the third week of January. Do you know why? Groceries, groceries stop selling kale. That's right. About the third week of January. Yeah, it's interesting. Having faith... And having vision and having goals is one thing. And it's great to talk about them. It's, it's good. We have meetings. We have planning meetings. Every Monday here at church, we talk about what we did on Sunday. Hey, what did we do good? What did we not do good? What do we need to do better? How can we minister to people better? And it's great if we talk about those things. But if we don't do them, did we really change? Did we do anything? John Acuff wrote several books. I'm reading one right now. He's kind of like a comedian. Uh, and an author at the same time. So if you don't like reading, you should read his books because they're really easy to read if you're like me. And he, I'm reading a book called Finish right now, and it's all about how uh, it's very important to finish a task, not just start a task, right? Has anyone in here done a New Year's resolution? All right, just show of hands, no shame. And you didn't even start it. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody in here start a goal or a New Year's resolution or, hey, we're going to get out of debt or, hey, I'm going to build, the, I'm going to start this project and you started it. Anybody, you started one. All right. Keep your hand up if you finished the same one you're thinking of. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 92% of goals fail. 100% of them are talked about. 92% of them fail. Only eight succeed. And he, he gives us all kinds of things to talk about. Again, to talk about. He talks about how we need to ignore our perfectionism and how it's okay if your goal isn't perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just keep going forward and eventually you'll finish, right? Because nothing is ever going to be perfect. No, there's no such thing as a perfect business model. There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect, you know, add-on to your house you're going to run into to, to issues, Look at the, the barn is a perfect example. We tried to build in there. Not a single wall is level or flat. The ones we built are, but the existing walls and ceiling and floor, nothing was level or flat. He talks about how we should cut your goal in half because oftentimes we dream of these really big, I'm going to lose 100 pounds this year. Well, maybe you should start by losing 10 pounds. Right? That's a goal. And when you achieve it, you get excited and you want to lose 10 more pounds. Right? Cut your goal in half or give yourself twice as long to achieve it. All right? You could even say that the most important step isn't the first one. It's the, mo the most important step is the step across the finish line. And that's great to talk about. That's great to think about. That's great to read about. It makes us feel good. But James is a lot talking a lot more about faith and talk. He's talking about action. Action. And he actually uses the very first words out of this passage is it's Greek. The Greek's word is titoophilos. And I looked that up just to impress the four people who can read Greek in this room. I'm pretty sure I butchered how to pronounce it. So I'll say it in English. It is, what good is it? What good is it? What good is it to to finish a puzzle, right? A 
1,500 piece, I almost said 1,000, that would be a huge puzzle. Uh, A 1,500 piece puzzle and say you're gonna go to Italy and do all the work and then don't book flights. We didn't even save the money up for the flights. We, zero financial planning, all daydream. This, this is literally a physical manifestation of a four month long while we binge watch friends in the background daydream. That's what this puzzle represents, okay? And so what good is it? What good is it to have New Year's resolutions when we know we're not gonna keep them? What good is it to have faith without deeds? Paul writes in Galatians chapter five, uh, verses 22 through 23, he talks about the fruit of the spirit. He talks about, does anybody know them? Does anybody know the song? Katie does, she's not here. (gasps) John Hubbard does, do you wanna sing it? No, I didn't think so. All right, all right. My wife would sing it if she was here. Uh, Of course, we all know the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, and self control. Awesome. Do you know what those all are? They're all physical manifestations of our faith. They're all us living out our faith. They're not just sitting on the couch, right? Crocheting or sewing or for me doing puzzles apparently. And well, I hope you get better, right? I hope, I hope we, I hope our church uh, feeds the hungry today while we all sit on our couch. I hope, I hope we Clothe the naked today when we're just playing video games and sipping nice coffee out of our baby Yoda mugs, right? James, James gives us multiple examples, and this is where the straw man technique comes in. He actually gives us two examples to look at. The first is Abraham. You doing okay? We're thinking about it. All right, talking about Abraham and Isaac, right? And how his son and how he is faithful on how God called Abraham. Hey, if you're faithful, I want you to take your son, Isaac, and I want you to go up to the mountain. I want you to offer him like a sacrifice. And we, uh, if you, in case you don't know the full story, they go up. Uh, Isaac's carrying all the wood for this sacrifice. This is not the first time Isaac has seen or gone through this process. He's a little bit younger than a boy at this point. And he's figuring out what's going on. And they build the altar. And Abraham's there. And he's about to sacrifice his son. And then all of a sudden, a a ram appears caught in the bush. And they sacrifice the ram. That is the most awkward son-daughter, not son-daughter, son-father camping story of all time. Could you imagine? Hey, do you remember camping with us, with dad as a kid? All right. It's a quiet walk down. That's right. That's an awkward. You've been in the car ride after an argument and it's just quiet. That walk down to the mountain would have been quiet. Whoo, absolutely. But there's more, there's more examples throughout all of scripture where people took their faith into action. They put their faith into works. We have Peter had enough faith to walk on water. And I know what half of you were thinking right now. Then Jesus responded because Peter started to sink and he said, ye of little faith. Remember, uh, Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat. The other guys just hung out on the boat wishing they were as cool as Peter, right? At least he had some faith and he actually put it to work, 
right? Moses had enough faith to actually take all the Israelites out of Egypt and say, hey, there's this giant Red Sea. We're going to cross it. And they actually did it. David had enough faith to say, not only call out Goliath, but actually claim victory before there was ever a battle and then walked through victory with his slingshot and his stones. If we don't put faith into action, we're actually not much different than demons, James says. That the demons even believe in God and that they shudder at his name. And actually, Peter David says this in a commentary about James. The point is that the knowledge of who God is does not save them. Knowing who God is doesn't save us, doesn't save you. In fact, it is the very knowledge which makes them shudder. It makes them be in fear. And that very name in which was used by exorcists to drive them out. A faith which cannot go beyond this level is worse than useless. We need to live out our faith. We need to help connect people to a relationship with Jesus and help them grow in 2020. We need to, as some churches might say, we need to know Christ and make Christ known in 2020. We need to look at the name, at what James says back in in verse 15 and 16, where he says, we're going to clothe the naked, we're going to feed the hungry, and we're going to serve the needy. You know, we have a valley that has a lot of that. We have a kids' ministry that is desperate, desperate for people to have faith and not sit in here and have faith, but sit in there and have faith and show toddlers how to color about Jesus to whole babies so moms can have a break and come in here and worship. We need people to have faith and go in there and teach elementary school kids who Jesus is and who Peter was and who David was and who Adam and Eve were and Abraham and how faithful he was. We have teens all in this room and teens who come in this room on Wednesdays who are desperate for people to take action and not just pray, oh, I'll pray for you. I'll read my Bible and think about you. Show up on Wednesday and start pouring into these kids and see what happens. And this is what I, this is what I tell my leaders all the time at the beginning of a year when I'm training someone new. The difference between all of you and teachers and parents and principals and grandparents is they have to love their kids. They have to be with their kids. Teachers are required by law to spend six and a half hours with those kids every day teaching them something or attempting to teach them something. When they come, that's right. (laughs) I was one of those kids. (laughs) You better believe it. All right. We have teens that show up on Wednesday that they know the difference when a parent or an adult has to be be there with them versus they want to be there with them. There's a huge difference, and they sense it the moment you walk into the room. The moment you take action, the moment they realize it. We have a ladies' Bible study that meets on Thursdays that would love for you to actually do your New Year's resolution this year, ladies. 
You wanna get invested in the Bible? You wanna start studying? You wanna go through, I think they're going through Ephesians right now. You wanna get in it? Thursdays, stop talking about it and start doing it. Absolutely, right? We have adult classes on Wednesdays. I, Christine talked about it, I talked about it. We have adult classes on Wednesdays. There's an, a, there is a ministry partner meeting on Wednesday. Get a key to this building and start serving. Start doing something. Actually be a partner in ministry. Partner with us and do ministry with us together. We have a coffee team out there that makes excellent coffee every single Sunday morning. And that's right. Where's Keaton at? He's in the back running slides, isn't he? He is. We love you, Keaton. He's really focused on slides. All right. We have a coffee team that is super excited, super cheerful. They love making coffee. They're, they're into it. And it, maybe you're one of those people. And maybe you need to stop just drinking the coffee that they make you every Sunday and get on the other side of the bar and say, you know what? I'm gonna pour my heart and soul into this cup and I'm gonna greet someone who might not have been here for a while, it's their first time, and I'm gonna make sure that this coffee is the best thing that they've ever had. This is gonna be the best coffee. They're gonna be talking about this coffee for weeks. I had that coffee like four weeks ago. We were back here prepping for Giving Tree, and Pastor Sean went and bought his own eggnog and brought it to the church, his own eggnog. And he's like, hey, do you want an eggnog latte? And I was like, you better believe it. And it was the best eggnog latte of my life. I've... Look at me. You see this gut? I've had my fair share of eggnog lattes, and that was the best one. I think it's because he made it out of love, right? We have a greeter team and an usher team that is ready for you to join and actually take into action. That's right. Stop talking about our faith. Stop having vision about what ministry you want to do and actually do it. Stop daydreaming and start living out your faith. I'm going to spoil a sermon right now that I'm going to do in February. You guys ready? And the teens, you have to pretend in February when I preach it that you heard it the first time then and not now. Okay, so in February, I'm going to do a, a series about relationships because teens and relationships is like crafting and glitter. They just go together, okay? Uh, for some strange, unnatural reason, teens want to be in relationships. So I'm going to talk a little bit about one, and I'm totally going to get their hopes up and up, and then I'm just going to shoot them out of the sky. Ready? Here's the first sermon for my relationship series for the teens in February. Ready, 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 ready? There is no right person for you. That right, as soon as I find, you don't have a right person. Just, there, that's a myth. Ignore it. There's no right person for you. Once you find someone, you magically don't become the perfect person. Hallmark lied to you. The Bachelor lied to you. The Bachelorette lied to us a lot, all right? There is no perfect person for you that makes you perfect. You don't become uh, one day a, a sinful, uh, bad credit score, don't know how to do your laundry, don't know how to clean up after yourself, single, might meet the right person and magically you know how to do laundry right, all right? You don't magically know how to make hollandaise sauce overnight when you find the right one. Okay, that, those eggs curdle a couple times. All right, now here's why I mention that. 
Because in order to find the right one, you first must become the right one, right? In essence, I'll, I'll summarize it like this. If you want to marry a 10, you can't be a two. Tens don't want to marry twos, okay? If you want a 10, you got to be a 10, right? So here's, here's what I mean by that. If you, uh, <laughs> if you want to invest in a ministry and you want to say, man, look at that ministry I poured into, you don't wait until the ministry is flourishing. You don't wait until Life Trek has 100 kids in it. You don't wait until we have 20 toddlers in the toddler room and 20 infants in the infant room and we need 10 people back there. You don't wait till then. You don't go to the gym and instantly start bench pressing two plates. You don't. You start now. You start while it's small. You start while it might feel insignificant. It's significant to God. It's significant to the mom you're helping. It's significant to the kid up there who needs help, who doesn't even know how to color in the pages. You start now. You start now. So when you live out your faith, you start now. Now here's something interesting that I'm gonna share with you guys. James quotes in verse 23, This is what he says, and this is what I mean. I'm going to put this into scripture. Pay attention. This blew my mind the other day. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's verse 23. That's James's basically backup. This is me quoting scripture. This is how I'm proving my point. So when we go to verse 15, or chapter 15 in Genesis... I had him a spot. Don't worry. You guys just just soak it in for a second. This is so good. Chapter 15, verse 6 is what he's quoting. And I'll read chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited credited it to him as righteousness. That's that's the verse right there in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. But here's the thing. The Jewish community never considered that the follow-through on Abraham's faithfulness. This is, this is the chapter where God is presenting himself to Abraham and they're developing the covenant where he takes all the, the animals and they sacrifice him in the valley and the pillar of smoke walks through and, and God is basically saying that if I don't come through on my covenant, what you've done to these animals, you can do to me, but we can't do that to God so we know that the covenant is guaranteed 100% take to the bank gonna happen. Now here's the thing is, Abraham showed his faith right then and there, and he was righteous. Now, the rest of the Jewish community, follow me, the rest of the Jewish community did not consider Abraham to be faithful in this moment. They considered him to be faithful seven chapters later. I'll flip it for you. In chapter 22, verse 12, where it says this. Check this out in verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not held from me your son, your only son. Seven chapters later is when Abraham 
is attempting to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Seven chapters later, when Isaac is no longer an infant or just a thought or a daydream, when he is a young man, when Abraham has raised his son, when Abraham has lived in fatherhood for several years, is when the rest of the Jewish community at the time thought Abraham was faithful. But James is saying, no, 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 no. It's way back in chapter 15. When the covenant was established, he's making a point that Abraham was faithful in his fatherhood from day one. That if we're going to live out our faith, if we're going to have action to our faith, we live out our faith on day one. The first Sunday of the year, we're here, we're faithful now. Not when we have 20 kids in there, not when we have 100 kids here on Wednesday, not when every single seat is full. That I'm, I'm going to wait and tithe when all the seats are full. I'm going to tithe on Easter. No, you tithe now. No, you serve now. No, we tell our neighbor to come to church now. Now is the time to do it. You don't become the right person for the right person. When you find the right person, you start working on it now. You want to know how you give, uh, how you make a 16-year-old have respect? You teach a 6-year-old respect and you give them 10 years of practice, right? You want to know how you serve and you grow that kid's ministry? You don't wait till the kids show up. You love the ones you got now, right? One of the best things I ever heard, one of the best things I ever heard about taking your, as a pastor, taking your worship team to the next level this, is, this, this was supposed to be an entire full-day seminar. It was like a 20-minute talk. Guy's name is Andy. He came up and he goes, this is how you grow your worship team. This is how you take it to the next level. You start loving your worship team now. Because God will never send you another member for your worship team until you start loving the ones you've got. You want to grow kids' ministry? You want to see this church grow? You have faith that God will change the valley? Start working on it now. Start serving now. We have to start walking in faith before we see the footpath. That's what faith is all about. Hebrews 11.1, 1, what does it say? Faith is the evidence, it is the substance of things not seen. Coming to church isn't enough. Putting the puzzle pieces together weren't enough. Talking about goals or vision or New Year's resolutions are not enough. We have, to, we have to do something. So the worship team's gonna come up and we're gonna take a moment and I want you guys to pray and I want you guys to worship and I want you guys to think about what your action is gonna look like this year. What's it gonna look like for you? What is your ministry gonna look like? You can't just have faith. That's so closeted and sheltered and, and two-dimensional. We have to do something more than that. Abraham did something more than that. David did something more than that. Peter did something more than that. Joshua took all of Israel after Moses passed away and carried them into the promised land. That took faith. So let's pray about what our faith is gonna do and where it's gonna take us in 2020. Let's take a moment.